Good evening, everybody. Good to have you here. I'm so excited. I love all you guys. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the back, and you guys can take that home with you. But if you have your Bibles, could you please turn to Mark chapter 8? We're going to be in Mark chapter 8 tonight. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 1, and I think I'm going to start by reading it, and then I'll come back to it. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Living water. It says this in verse 1, in those days, I'm reading out of the NASB, in those days when there was again a large crowd and had nothing to eat, and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. And his disciples answered him, where will anyone be, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them, and started giving them to his disciples to serve them. And they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish. It's a bonus. And after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there, and he sent them away. And immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from, a, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Verse 12, sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. And they had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them, saying, Watch out. Be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. 16, they began to discuss with one another the fact they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that they have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? They said to him, 12. When I broke the seven loaves for the 5,000, how many ba uh, baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? Oh, they said 12. And when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And he answered, and he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would speak to us tonight clearly, directly, uniquely, and in a very powerful way, Lord. I pray that you would minister to each and every one of our hearts tonight, Father, and that we would see your son in this text. How much you love us and care for us, Lord God, and how much you want us. We love you and we praise you, God, with our whole heart. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what we have here in this chapter, I didn't read the next part, but Jesus actually performs two miracles, but 
we're just going to do the feeding of the 4,000 tonight. Um, Jesus is no longer in Jewish territory. Now, there's a lot of, lot of context behind this, but not to flood your mind with too much info. The Old Testament prophets often spoke of one who would come and free Israel, God's chosen people. Okay, let's just, just remember that. The Old Testament prophets often spoke of one who would come and free Israel, God's chosen people, to what? to properly worship God and allow them to freely live in the land given to them, all right? So it's, got it? It's kind of difficult to do that when Rome is the one who is in power and governs their way of life. Although they were allowed to worship, the Roman Empire was still running the show. Now, the nation of Israel knew there was gonna be a coming messianic era, they just didn't know how or when or what that would look like. Their expectation was in a Messiah who would come to rule and reign and free them from their physical oppression or oppressors, not to surrender and lay down his life. They believed in a Messiah who would come in power and in strength, not in meekness and humility. And they believed in a Messiah who would come to judge the nations and show justice, not extend undeserving grace love and mercy and so jesus comes on the scene creator of all things god of the universe not born in a palace but in a manger grows up in a city called nazareth that most jews held in low esteem and you can thank nathaniel he said what good can come out of nazareth and so from the beginning jesus was overlooked because of where he was from and as Jesus begins his ministry, he's not pointing the finger like the religious, but the religious people labeled him as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. It was these people, the sinners, the tax collectors, the lame, the weak, that were drawn to Jesus, and Jesus was drawn to them. And this isn't saying Jesus is taking sin lightly. Every time I say that, he comes for you. Just, this isn't Jesus taking sin lightly or excusing it. What this is saying is that it doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. His grace and his mercy goes even further than your biggest mistakes. The message of the cross shows us sin wasn't excused. The message of the cross shows us sin had to be dealt with. This is why Jesus came. He came to live the life I should have lived and he died a death that I should have died. It is because Jesus we are fully and freely forgiven. It is because of Jesus you and I are accepted by God right now, today. And so there's no room for us to walk in the kingdom with our heads down. Children get to play. They get to enjoy all that the Father has. But we don't walk with our noses in the air either like we're the hero. We didn't do anything. And the gospel reminds us of that. Amen? I'd like to start with that. Now, the story takes place outside of Jewish territory. And the last time we were ever around this region, Jesus came into this place to deliver a man who was severely demon-possessed. I think that's, yeah, he was severely demon-possessed. He wasn't possessed with one demon. He wasn't possessed with two demons, but thousands of demons. Yeah, most scholars believe, right, this is the area? Kind of, yeah. But thousands of demons. Anybody remember this story? The demoniac? 
You could hear him, it says, in the scriptures, screaming day and night as he lived among the tombs. That's where he was. Everyone knew this man, and everyone declared this man hopeless in his condition. Everybody. And yet Jesus makes his way towards him, and there wasn't no squabble. I don't know if you watch those exorcist movies, but once the priest shows up, you know he's a dead man. It ain't like that. It ain't like that with Jesus. The demon didn't ask, who are you? The demon asked, what are you doing here, Jesus, son of the most high God? Have you come to torment us before the appointed time? So, first thing, not only is there a day where Satan and his posse is done forever, but for this man, this man, the very demons he could not shake, who possessed, tormented, and oppressed him, and destroyed his life for many years, are now seen bowing down in the presence of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever seen a one-sided fight, but that's what this is. Scripture says only two things happened this day. They saw him, and they fell at his feet. That's it. That's how it went down. There ain't no bucking up to the light of the world. Now, how it began with this one man is really how it begins with us. Amen? Chauncey touched, Chauncey touched on this a little bit last week, so... Check this out. Not only does Jesus save us, and I know we all have our stories of how we got here, but with that, he also saves us, but he also sends us. This man wanted to go with Jesus and his disciples. That was his plan. Not a bad idea. But Jesus said to him, no, I need you to stay here. Because, and that was the better plan. And the plan was for those people in that area to see this man who was declared hopeless the outcast, the crazy guy running around naked, delivered and in his right mind because of his encounter with Christ. He was going to be a witness of God's love and grace. He was sent to stay, to stay in this region and tell everyone what great, God, what great things God has done for him. And I love what Paul says in Romans. He says this, how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? How can they hear about him, Jesus, unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? He says this, beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. I wanted to do this. You guys can turn to each other and tell each other you guys have beautiful feet. <laughs> this means... This means all that God has done for you, everything that he works out in your life, the very thing that he did for you, doesn't end with you. It shouldn't. It is to be told and proclaimed to the next person. I get questions all the time, right? Like, what brought you to Kauai, bro? And this opens up a conversation for me to be honest with that person. Why? Because you never know what that person might be going through. You will never know who you might relate to. Now, you might not have all the answers, but that's okay. Because the only answer that matters is the one where you get to mention Jesus' name and what he's done for you. Why? Check this out. Because most people are exhausted. Most people are exhausted. I know I was. They just won't say that they are. 
think I touched on this a little while ago. We live in a world that only loves to show the highlights of our lives. That's what Instagram is. You go on Instagram, you look at everybody's highlights. Like, this is all the good stuff that's happening. But what most people don't see is actually what's going on inside, right? And what the Word of God says about us is true. Constantly seeking after bread that does not satisfy. Drinking water from wells that always run dry. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. See, what you're actually looking for is in Jesus to be accepted, to be wanted, to be forgiven, to be redeemed, to have a relationship with someone who loves you despite your brokenness. That's who Jesus is. He sees you for all that you are, and he's never going to give up on you. You can have all the bread in this world, and you will always find yourself hungry again always after chasing, always chasing after more of what you already have. And in chapter 7, this woman knew that just a crumb, even if it was just a crumb of what Jesus had to offer, it was more than enough. And if Jesus is this bread and he is this bread for you, we are to tell people about him. And so I'm reminded of this quote when I get to talk to people. He said this, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I don't know who, I don't know who said that, but I really like that. It's, it's, it goes like this, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> now, verse 1 to 3 point out a very large crowd following after Jesus. The reason why I mentioned this story about the demon-possessed man is because most scholars believe that Jesus came back to this general area. We see the people from this region gathering together, desperately seeking after Jesus. And I truly believe it's because of this one man telling everyone all that God has done for him. I'm sure most people knew him, knew him who, or knew who he was before and he is absolutely not that person today. Not only did they get to hear about God's mighty works, but they also get to see God's mighty works. There is something that I said, there is something that speaks louder than a million words or than a million words, and it is a life that's been radically changed and renewed and saved by the gospel. It is what's happening in your life right now, whether you know it or not. Because he who begun a good work will complete it. And I know some seasons might feel like we haven't matured at all, kind of like that three steps forward, two steps back, but at least it's one step forward. Slow and steady wins the race. There's no such thing as a spiritual bypass. We are going to go through what we need to go through in order to grow from it. And over time, this is what people are going to see and be blown away by. Amen? All right. Verses 1, 2, 3. In those days when there was again in a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. The first thing I want us to see is this, is that Jesus is fully aware of what's going on. 
Jesus is fully aware of what's going on. From the amount of days the crowd has been with him to their basic supply of food, all the way down to their physical condition, Jesus was fully aware of what they needed, when they needed, so they could be sustained for their journey home. Most of us here might not be facing physical hunger. I'm sure most of you eat pretty good. Right? Yeah. Most of us aren't facing physical hunger where it's making us feel weak or weary unless you're fasting. But if you are, there's a pantry up in the kitchen. Feel free to grab whatever you need. But maybe some of us here have been following Jesus and we find ourselves, and this is, we find ourselves in a season where we feel spiritually exhausted. Maybe you've been following Jesus and you find yourselves in seasons where you are spiritually exhausted. I'm going to be honest with you right now and transparent. Like there are times where I felt lonely. There are times where I felt depressed. And there are times where I felt anxious. And it happens more often than not. And what happens in these moments is that my feelings can become louder than what the Word of God says. But it's in those moments I have to remind myself that he is with me. I have to remind myself that he knows what's going on. I have to read the word of God as the final authority over my life and not my feelings. Why? Because my feelings will tell me you're all alone. My feelings will tell me no one really cares about you. No one notices. My feelings will tell me you're not lovable. But that's not what the Word says. The Word of God says he will never leave me nor forsake me. The Word of God says I can cast all my burdens upon him because he what? Cares about me. The Word of God says I am loved and I am loved deeply. And if you find yourself in those harder seasons, remember seasons change. Circumstances change. Feelings are inconsistent, but the Word of God never changes. And I know it's in these moments or in these seasons we are more vulnerable to open up our hearts to other things. Trust me, I tried it only to find myself more depressed, more anxious, and more empty. This is why Jesus said in the wilderness as he was being tempted by Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It was God who spoke all things into existence. It was God who gave life to all living things. Then it is only by God and God alone who who sustains our very own lives. John 1 says this, that Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. And if Jesus is the word, then it's Jesus who gives us life. It is Jesus who sustains our life. But if we are not pressing into Jesus for life, we will find ourselves pressing into other things that only rob us from it. Amen? Now, what we see in this chapter is God's ultimate, infinite, amazing love for these people. Jesus knows they won't make it back home if they don't eat something. So he asks his disciples what they should do. Not because he didn't know what to do. 
It's because they went through this before and they still didn't know what to do. This wasn't the first time Jesus fed a crowd of hungry people. Last time, it was more than 4,000. And although his disciples are forgetful, we emphasize more on God's loving patience towards them. Let's read verse 4 through 10. It says this, And his disciples answered him, Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. And taking the seven loaves, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them, and started giving them, and started giving them to his disciples to serve them, and they served them for, and they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he ordered these, be, he ordered these to be served as well. Verse eight, and they ate and were satisfied, and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there, and he sent them away. And immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district of Dalmanutha. Now, if you go back and read chapter 6 or even John 6, you'll see this story is quite similar uh, to the last miracle that Jesus did. Anybody remember the feeding of the 5,000? That was just 5,000. That was 5,000 men, not including women and children. So anywhere from 15,000, some say 20, 25,000 people. Most scholars would say that in this chapter, Mark repeated himself because the miracle is so familiar. But if those scholars read a little bit further, they would see Jesus mentions both miracles side by side. And although his disciples forgot what happened two chapters ago, Jesus doesn't yell at them, does he? Jesus doesn't belittle them, like, why didn't you remember what I did for you? No, what Jesus does is he works with them. What did Jesus do first? He asked them, how much bread you got? Hey, how much bread you got? His disciples answered him, what? Seven. Seven means not enough. And that's exactly what Jesus wants them to understand. He wanted them to understand what they have will never be enough to accomplish only what God can do. No longer relying on themselves, no longer relying on their bread, but they are, to put, they are put in a position again, listen, to rely upon Jesus and Jesus alone. That's it. The second thing is this. The second thing that Jesus does is more of a hands-on lesson. He sits the crowd down like he did before. He gives thanks to his father and uses his disciples to distribute what Jesus had multiplied. To rely upon Jesus and Jesus alone is to know that his way is always better. Let me say that again. To rely upon Jesus and Jesus alone is to, is to know and to understand that his way is always better. I say this all the time, but to be a follower of Jesus means to be a follower of Jesus. Right? To be a follower of Jesus means to be a follower of Jesus. This means wherever Jesus goes, we go. Wherever Jesus stays, we stay. And whatever Jesus says to do, we do. My wife said this to me earlier, it's one thing to know, it's another thing to do. Right? Like you know, you got to wash the dishes. They're still not done. 
That's for me. <laughs> it's one thing to know, but it's another thing to do. And his disciples would learn to rely upon Jesus and Jesus alone. They are also reminded in their obedience to him that his way never fails. Amen? Now, it seems like every time something good takes place, opposition follows behind it. We're going to read verse, starting from verse 7. So they also had a, small, a, a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. Verse 8, and they ate and were satisfied, and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there, and he sent them away. And immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district of Dalmanutha. 11, the Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Verse 12, sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Leaving them, he again embarked went and went away to the other side. And they had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. I'm not going to hit on this too much, but the one thing about the Pharisees is that they that is that they had all the evidence in the world to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. If anything, they should have been the first ones to be welcoming in. They were the ones with the oracles of God, the commandments of God, and they had the word of God. Not only that, but he performed countless miracles, healed a number of people, and even raised people from the dead. And yet, even with all the proof they had in front of them, their unbelief wasn't in a lack of evidence, but it was because of a hardened heart. Jesus requires our faith. Jesus requires your faith. And if he gave us absolute proof of every doubt and question, where would there be room for faith? The problem with these Pharisees is that even if thunder and lightning came roaring out of the heavens, they will still find a reason not to believe. Jesus even foretold his death and resurrection to them. The only sign you're going to get, and it's in Matthew, is the sign of Jonah. That Jonah was in the belly of the fish, foretelling his death and resurrection, that he would be in the ground three days and that he would rise again. And as he rose again from the dead, like he said, it says that they paid the Roman soldiers to tell everyone his disciples took his body. It's not that they can't believe, it's that they don't want to. And so he warns his disciples to be aware of this, to be aware of anything that might cause them to question or doubt their faith. Herod was a ruler in this day over the Jewish people, but under Roman rule. All he cared about was political power and gain. The Pharisees had control over the worship. Herod had control over the people. Jesus is saying, be careful of the influence that surrounds you. Be careful. Because like leaven, you only, need a little to, you only need a little bit to make the bread rise. Yeast is always a picture of sin. And you don't need much of it for it to do work. A little compromise here, a little compromise there. Sooner or later, our hearts can be so far from him. And Jesus, time and time again, is saying, be careful, be careful, be careful what you give your heart to. Amen? 
And so the lesson for his disciples is the lesson for us all as well. Let's read verse 16 to 21. They began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not see or do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a heart and heart? Having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear and do you not remember? When I broke the uh, five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? They said to him, Twelve. When I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? Did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? I'm just going to end here. And Jesus, Jesus, Jesus did not ask these questions to see if his disciples can count. All right? Clearly, they know how to count. There are a few things that his disciples forgot this day. And it wasn't only the leftovers. On this day, Jesus, on this day, as they were riding back together, they forgot who Jesus was. That's the first thing. That he wasn't just another person on the boat, but Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and that's who was with them. They were so worried about what they didn't have, they forgot about who they did have. They were so concerned about their lack of bread, they forgot about the one who multiplied it. Jesus asked them a series of questions, not to test their counting skills or their math ability, but Jesus asked them a series of questions, but to bring into remembrance of all that he's done for them. I don't know what your circumstance or situations you might be facing today. I don't know if it's oppression. I don't know if it's depression or some kind of eshin or some kind of inward battle that nobody knows about, but I want, you to remind, I want to remind you guys tonight that Jesus knows. I want to remind you that he is fully aware of what's going on in and out of your life. And I want to remind you tonight that Jesus knows and he is with you. I want us to remember in these harder seasons not to focus on what we don't have or what we might be facing. But the, ba- but the trick is to remember who we do have and all that he's done for us. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for...